In the past year, Kia America has experienced incredible momentum with a growing portfolio of innovative and award-winning vehicles. Moving forward, Kia is expanding to also usher in a new age of mobility for all. With the strength of a new logo, purpose, and business model, Kia is transforming itself into a symbol of innovation and sustainability. Kia is focused on becoming a leader in mobility and is charging ahead with electrification across their lineup, including the all-electric 2022 EV6, with estimated range of 310 miles depending on trim level and state-of-the-art 800V fast charge capability. But one thing will never change. Kia will continue to provide customers with world-class quality, design, and innovative technology at a great value. Inspiration is contagious. Just like Asian Hustle Network and its amazing network of entrepreneurs who have inspired many by committing to their purposes, Kia will do the same with vehicles inspired by world-class innovation. Kia, movement that inspires. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Jason Wang. At the age of 15, Jason Wang was given a 12-year sentence at a maximum security prison in Texas. Upon release, he earned two master's degrees and was still unable to find a job due to his criminal history. Jason decided to become an agent for change. He started Free World. Free World empowers people who have been in prison with educational support and technical skills to enter into high-wage, high-demand careers so they can live fulfilling lives prison-free. Free World aims to break the cycle of recidivism and general poverty by demonstrating the potential of re-entering citizens, creating meaningful career pathways, and providing critical support services for the individuals and their families to overcome significant barriers. Impact areas are justice reform, economic empowerment, workforce development, education, racial justice, economic development, and poverty alleviation. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm sure that that is a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it just speaks to volumes how much of a great work that you are doing uh, for the people who are in need. And for all of our listeners who don't know, Jason was featured in our Asian Hustle Network book called Uplifted Journeys of Abundance, Community and Identity. And his story is so, so moving. And I recommend all of our listeners to definitely read Jason's story if you want to learn and hear about his his full journey. So Jason, tell us how far you have come since we, the last time that we've talked to you. I know the last time, you know, Gina interviewed you for our book, and I know that Free World has grown so much. I want to know about all of the success that that you've experienced since the last time that we've talked to you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be grateful for this year. You know, we've now oversubscribed on our fundraising goal. So we had a initial goal of one and a half million. We ended up bringing 2.3 million. And we have quite a few additional commitments coming in this year. So uh, it's positioning us well for growth. We've doubled our team size. And so uh, this is something that was really critical for our growth because we've been operating so lean. We recently won $50,000 from the Dallas Foundation and uh, the Pegasus Prize. And so we've gotten a ton of different you know, PR opportunities through the Dallas Morning News, KERA, CBS, NBC. And yeah, we're uh, basically just prepping for this upcoming year. 
That is amazing. I mean, I'm so glad to hear that you oversubscribed. Talk to us about that fundraising round and just just like the experience of it. Was it what was going through your mind at that time? I mean, was it was it hard for you or, you know, what was going through your mind? Like, did you have some sort of criteria you wanted to to kind of like set forth when you were bringing on these investors and like what exactly were you looking for in these investors? Yeah, so I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. This year was the first time that I was raising money from institutional investors. And all the way up until October of this year, we had only raised 400000 And it was a very real chance that we wouldn't be able to hit our fundraising goal. Over the past three months, we we just got really, really fortunate. We were participating in a number of different accelerator programs like Fast Forward, Stand Together, Schmidt Futures. And um, the great thing about these programs is they really positioned us well for success. So Fast Forward, as an example, we went through the accelerator program. We ended up having a pitch event and... From that point forward, people suddenly knew about Free World <laughs> and really wanted to support it. And so we were able to raise essentially $2 million just within the past three months. That is amazing. And I'm so glad to hear of all the success. I mean, it's it's crazy how much you have grown. And to hear about the journey that you have went through, you know, since the time that you were in prison and just like going through that experience and knowing that you were meant to have a more successful life, you know, a larger life than this. You know, I think that just hearing your story is just so inspirational. And I think it could set as inspiration to a lot of other younger folks as well. Talk to us. I don't want to give away too much about, you know, from the story because I want our listeners to read it themselves as well. But, you know, tell me about just like how you have grown as a person since, you know, the time that you were a child to now, it must be so crazy to think back and think like, wow, so much has changed in such a short amount of time, you know, and obviously I'm sure it doesn't feel like a short amount of time, but I'm sure that it feels as if, you know, a lot has changed for you. Just tell me how you've changed, you know, emotionally, mentally as a person for yourself. Yeah. Well, I think that my, my childhood was really defined by poverty, abuse, and trauma. And so growing up, I I really just felt alone in the world. You know, I had to deal with racism. I had a father who was extraordinarily violent. And, you know, I, I, at the age of 13, ended up joining a gang because they represented the family that I didn't have at home. And then I went through the prison system. And in the prison system, emotionally, it felt like, like I was dirt, like I was a modern day leper in society. I'd never seen such a large population of people being treated so poorly. And for thousands of kids to feel like they had no future for themselves. And so that was definitely a very low point in my, in my life. After I was released, I ended up getting a full ride scholarship and getting a double masters. But one of the things I learned from that experience is that you can push really hard. You can, you can work your butt off. But at the end of the day, even with two master degrees, people saw me for the worst thing I'd ever done rather than the person that I was. And it was heartbreaking. I remember feeling that I was doing a hell of a lot better running the streets as a gang member than I am as a well-educated adult that happens to have a criminal history. So there are a lot of learning lessons that came with that. But because of that adversary, I had to be like really innovative with the way that I supported my family. And one of them was through entrepreneurship. I ended up starting four businesses. Many of them failed. (laughs) Uh, But luckily, Free World ended up doing well. The last thing that, that I'll say is that 
you know, over the past two years, especially going through the pandemic, I've personally grown quite a bit. During the pandemic, I was suicidal. I was, you know, going through depression. I had lost some really close friends in my life. And I really started to question who I was and what was meaningful for me in my life. And so while the pandemic sucked, it offered a lot of introspective thinking. And I'm actually grateful for the experience. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. You know, I think life comes with a lot of different challenges. And, you know, it's it's obvious that, you know, you went through a lot of challenges. And as an entrepreneur, you know, we go through those ups and downs. And I'm so glad that you were very transparent about, you know, starting a lot of businesses, a lot of them having failed, you know, and I think a lot of us don't talk about those failures, that we don't talk about those hardships, we don't talk about those challenges, because especially in the Asian community, we only like to talk about our successes and what has become successful or what has, you know, turned out successful. And we never talk about, you know, anything that makes us lose face, right? And I think the Asian Mm -hmm. community is all about, you know, saving face and talking about everything that, you know, became successful. What do you think made free world so successful. And I remember in your story, you mentioned that, you know, this is something that really spoke to you. This is exactly the thing that you wanted to do because it was meaningful to you, you know, and I think that's, that's also why you put in so much effort and heart into free world and building this company. But there is obviously a bigger, you know, meaning behind it. And I want to know, like, what do you think personally made free world become so successful? Yeah, I think that number one, you have to have a supportive group of people around you. And for Free World, it was our board of directors. So Jason Green, Andy Bromberg, and Matt Mosheri, they were critical to not only the start of Free World, but also navigating through life's challenges, especially when starting up a business. And so Matt Mosheri is a previous entrepreneur, investor, filmmaker, and CEO coach. And he really guided me in terms of being able to avoid the, the potholes on the road. You know, we couldn't be where we are without him. (laughs) And so it's really having that really good support system around you. The second thing is creating a service that delights our customers. You know, when we start building up the free will program, number one, we want to be able to scale, to be self-sustaining. But most of all, we want to be so efficiently effective in our students' lives that they felt comfortable trusting us with anything that might be going on. And so I took a, a really close look at my reentry journey and the reentry journeys of the majority of our employees and the people that we serve, because most of the people that, that we hire on all have criminal histories. And it's that attention to detail, looking at every pain point through the reentry process that allowed us to, to really create a service set that people seem to really like. We try to do our best to solve all the major roadblocks that people face once they get released. And we do it in a way that's fast, it's efficient, and produces great outcomes. And ultimately, at the end of the day, for any business, the success of the business will be based on, are you able to execute well? I absolutely agree. And it really matters what, you know, your clients and your customers say about, you know, the service that you're putting out to. And you are giving such, you know, amazing resources and support for people who have been in prison, right? And I'm very curious to know, like, what kind of stories have you heard? Or like, I'm sure there have been a lot of people who came back to you and said, like, you've literally changed my life, Jason. And you've like turned my life around. And, you know, I, I couldn't thank you enough. I want to know like some of the stories that you've heard from, you know, those instances and like, what was one that was like the most impactful for you? And the one that just made you 
you know, just like kind of think back and say like, this is why I do what I do, you know, and I'm I'm so (laughs) proud to be in this position right now because you're literally changing lives. Can you tell us like an example of of one of those stories? Oh man, I have so many stories. Yeah, I I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like one one that immediately comes to mind is this individual who applied for a program and he had spent about 30 years in prison. And so he had been released for about a year. And at this point, you know, he was going through halfway houses. He was just trying to get back on his feet. He had to had to be on parole after he was released. He had to go to all these different groups. And he was 68 years old at the time that he applied to Free World. And for a 60-year-old person getting out of the prison system with a criminal record, he had no idea what he could do in life. Because first of all, who wants to hire a 68-year-old? Second of all, it doesn't help that he has a criminal record. And so he was telling me about a time where he was actually sitting on top of a bridge and he wanted to kill himself. And fortunately, he made the choice to just like live for another day. That's when somebody in his halfway house told him about our program. He applied for it. Within 40 days, he ended up getting his license. And now he's doing so incredibly well. Like he's got his own apartment. He's got his own car. He's now reunited with his family. And he has hope for his future. Like he he doesn't have to be homeless on the streets anymore. And that's a story that is actually quite common among the over a thousand people who applied for our program. Most come from situations that are so incredibly desperate and traumatic. And it's really incredible to see how something as simple as a living wage job can change somebody's trajectory in life. And so I'm, I'm really, really proud of Michael. That's his name. And I have plenty of other stories to share with you as well, if you're interested. <laughs> yes, I would love to hear them. I mean, it's it's amazing just hearing these stories, because if you really think about it, I don't think we think about it that often, but a lot of people don't even have these these chances. Right. If unless, you know, someone were to help them, they had those resources available to them. But oftentimes they don't know that there are resources available to them unless there's someone out there to, you know, like hand them to them. And I I think it's incredible what you're doing. You know, you're literally changing lives and it's it's just amazing hearing these stories. And I would love to hear another one if you have if you have another one. Yeah, yeah, sure. And the main thing is that nobody's really expecting a handout. Right. People right, just exactly. want a pathway forward. And that's it. People are willing to do the work. It's just that it is so miserable to go through life being rejected time after time after time, hundreds of times. I face that in my own life with two master degrees. Imagine somebody who has spent 30 years in prison, have gotten out, and they don't have any education, no work experience. They're up to their eyeballs in debt. And they have no clear pathway toward a job that will pay enough to take care of the bills. And that's the reality that the vast majority of the people that go through our program go through. Another example is this individual in San Francisco, and he had spent 10 years in prison, and he had gone in and out of the system his entire life. His father was in prison. He went to prison. It ran through his entire family. Even his brothers have gone to prison as well. So he's in San Francisco, and he's homeless on the streets, and he's relapsed into meth, and he's just really, really down in the dumps. And once again, like many other people in our program, they hear about it from another graduate. And so he hears about a program, decides to apply. Once again, in, in about 60 days, he ends up getting his license. And he's, a matter of fact, on our video. And he talks about how in 2015, his I think it was 2015, his tax return or his taxable income was $10,000. The next year, it was $170,000. Driving buses, 
And it was just a life-changing moment for him. He bought a brand new house. When he came down to that filming event, he came, he drove down in a Mercedes. Today, wow. he's no longer in the trucking industry because he's built a life for himself. And he has two businesses now. So now, uh, not only does he have kind of like a Terminator, you know, pest control business, but he's also a real estate agent. And so one of the things that we talk about at Free World is that the trucking industry is only a stepping stone. We're doing this because for a relatively small amount of money, we can very quickly get get you into a high paying career. But once you get into that career and you're able to provide for your family and get some stability in your life, go chase what you love in life. I think that so many people work every single day just to pay the bills. And very few people have found that job or career where they can live out their gift in life. And for this individual, he's now living out his gift. And it's just a beautiful story. That's amazing. That is incredibly beautiful. And it just goes to show the type of person that you are too, Jason, because, you know, as a founder, um, I'm sure there's a lot of founders who would want their employees to stay with them forever, you know, but in order to run a successful company is when you actually show care and love for your employees, when you treat your employees right. And when you treat your employees right, you actually want the best for them, right? And if you want the best for them, you know and understand that they may leave at a certain point, right? Because yes, it is a stepping stone, right? It is a tool that you can use to, you know, gather as much skills or resources as you possibly can and possibly, you know, go to the next stage in your life. And that's exactly what you're doing for for these people. And it's just so amazing that you're able to, you know, provide this resource and life for these people. So it's, it's amazing what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's more of a systemic issue is that everybody talks about how companies aren't willing to hire people with criminal histories. And yes, the criminal record is a major roadblock, but it's also like a self-fulfilling cycle because if somebody with a criminal history can't get a job in the first place, they'll never get the experience that they need in order to be successful in that career, even if companies do choose to lower their standards on hiring people with criminal records. And so my personal belief is that when somebody goes to prison, pays their debt to society and serves their time, during that time period, they should be set up to do well once they get released. Because if you're spending 10 years in prison and it's a corrupt environment that is extraordinarily violent, then what do you expect to do once you get released? You now spent 10 years getting used to being in the jungle. And now we're asking you to go out into society and be a positive contributing member of society without any of the skill set, without any of the know-how, and without any of the support. The system that we have today is literally trapping people into generational cycles of poverty and recidivism. And my hope is that free world can become the gold standard for how we actually do reentry in America. Absolutely. And, you know, I do believe that you have to give these people a chance, you know, otherwise they won't be able to improve or they won't be able to actually build the skills that they need to, you know, get a real job. Right. And you're really giving them a second chance. And for those of you who don't see, like Jason has this background that says real second chances start here. And that's exactly what you're doing. And I love that so much. I also get, you know, like monthly updates on like how Free World is doing. And I think the most recent update that I received was, you know, Free World just passed a thousand applicants. And, you know, this happened sooner than you had projected. Right. And <laughs> I, that's such an amazing accomplishment. Can you talk a little bit about that? And also just like the nature of, you know, being so transparent with your audience. Why do you think it's so important to be so transparent about just like the progress 
that you're seeing with Free World and which I love, which I think is so, so important. And I really appreciate you being so, you know, authentic and transparent with your community and just like the success and progress that you've built. Talk about the successes of like, you know, passing a thousand applicants and you know, just being so transparent with your community. Yeah, no, I, I truly believe that as an organization, we should be super transparent with not only our successes, but also our failures. Because one of the things that I've noticed is that if you're going through a hard time, people in the business community will rally around you to help you. As long as you are mission aligned and are really producing results in the world. Like people want to, to surround themselves with successful people. And every business is going to have some sort of challenge that they go through, even if they're the most successful business in the world. Um, the other thing that, that I've noticed in the nonprofit industry is that a lot of organizations, because we're so dependent on philanthropy, a lot of organizations have to play up their success in order to keep the doors open. And we're in a fortunate position where we now have quite a bit of support. We've had support from the very, very beginning. And so we've never had to, we've never had to exaggerate on our numbers. And we aren't the most successful organization out there, but we're also very, very young. We've been in operation for three years, but we just incorporated last year. You know, out of the three years that we've been in operation, we only hired a team last year. And so things are really starting to ramp up. And one of the things that we noticed in expanding our program was that we had our program in one little city in California for the first two years. And then in our third year, we expanded out to Texas. And that's where the vast majority of all of our applications have come in. And one of the really interesting things when we go through the data is to really understand the demographics and the challenges that people face when they apply to free world. Just in our Dallas market alone, 75% of the people who apply to our program are African-American. And that really shocked me. I had always known that in America, one in three black men have a criminal record and that African-Americans by large are disproportionately the biggest part of the criminal justice system. And it just lit a fire in me because when you look at the criminal justice system and its history, you start to realize why people who have gone through the system are facing the challenges that they're facing today and why the system continues to be broken. There is a vested interest in keeping the status quo. And that's what we're fighting against. But when you take a look at that problem, you're not looking to solve it over the next 10 years. You have to build in the capacity, the infrastructure, and the strategy to solve this problem over the next 100 years. And that's what we really focus on at Free World. It's not a short-term program. It's here for the long haul. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I think there are definitely a lot of things wrong with the system that we have right now. I definitely agree with you. It's not like a short-term, you know, journey that that's going to fix itself overnight. And, you know, what you're doing is, you know, definitely going to be the stepping stone for us to like solve these issues, but it's definitely going to take a long time. Yeah. I mean, the criminal justice industry is an industry where we spend $182 billion a year. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people making money off of misery. Right. And this has nothing to do with saying like, oh, we should have prisons and we shouldn't have all this other stuff. I am all for accountability. But once again, when the court system or the legal system says, hey, you've committed a crime, we found evidence that you've committed this crime. And so for punishment of this alleged crime, you have to serve, I don't know, 10 years in prison. Uh -huh. Why is it that people go through the prison system, serve those 10 years, which was mandated by the court, but for the rest of their lives and for their kids' lives, they will forever be punished by the system. 
at what point does an individual truly get a legitimate second chance in life? Because if we want to continue supervising or incarcerating people through generations, then we're going to have the system that we have today where 75% of people who go to prison will end up back in prison within five years. Right. And 70% of kids who have a parent who's incarcerated will end up in the system themselves. Do we want to spend our tax dollars on something that is proving to not work? There has to be a better way, right? right? And so free world is a very simple solution to a very big problem, but it's not enough. And our strategy is to build the leverage and scale that we need to actually start affecting criminal justice reform on a wider level. I mean, I thought something that was interesting is during the pandemic, a lot of people got to see the murder of George Floyd, that nine minute video that just rocked so many people. And over the past two years, people have started to make their voices heard. That being said, it took a worldwide protest to create any type of law enforcement accountability. When Derek Chauvin was arrested and actually tried and convicted for murdering George Floyd, that was one of the few times in America's history where a law enforcement official was actually held accountable. Right, exactly. Now, what I fear is that over time, the passion and fervor for racial justice will begin to die down. And it was great to see all of these corporations and all these people speaking out against you know, racial injustice. But where are those investments now? They raised $50 billion for racial equity, but have dispersed almost nothing. And so outside of free world, if we kind of look at society as, you know, from from a high level perspective and and look at changes that we need in a law enforcement system, like we can't be passionate in the moment and then forget later because this stuff is happening on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think just the world that we live in right now with like all the social media that's happening, unfortunately, that's how it is. You know, there's a lot of hype that goes on with all of the current events and current news. And then let's say like a month passes by, you know, a two months pass by, we rarely ever talk about it again, you know, mm-hmm. and until the next situation comes up or until the next, you know, big thing happens. And then, you know, we, we start kind of creating this, this hype, this like, oh, big news. Oh, let, let's, let's talk about it again. You know, and I think that this is a very unhealthy cycle that we're in because these things, you're right, these things are happening on a daily basis. And we should be highlighting these things, you know, every single day. Unfortunately, just like the nature and like the culture that we're in right now, we're just, you know, talking about them when something big happens, which is really unfortunate. I do want to like shift the topic a little bit and just talk about your journey as an entrepreneur and just building free world. I'm sure being a founder, there comes with a lot of ups and downs, right? And you just experiencing so much growth with free world. I'm sure, you know, you've, there were times where you just like looked back and think, man, what am I doing? You know, like, is this worth it? Is this going to be, you know, worth it in the end? Am I, am I doing this, you know, for, for the betterment? You are, you are doing this for the betterment of the world, but I'm sure there are times where you think back and say like, am I going to be able to make it? You know, can you talk about like some of your darkest moments and how you kind of overcame those moments as a founder and just like, you know, what was going through your mind at the time? Yeah. Entrepreneurship comes with peaks and valleys. And when you go through the valleys, they can be really, really deep. Earlier this year, I felt like there was a real chance 
that free world might not survive because I was not having any success with fundraising. And this was a completely new system for me. I, I, I never understood how philanthropy worked, how institutions give out grants. And, and there were a lot of moments where I didn't have fun anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When you're starting a business, especially on a, on a shoestring budget, you have to be lean. And the problem with any early stage organization is that you don't have any one single job. You know, as a CEO, I am the accountant. I am the fundraiser. I am the right. marketer. I am the operations person. And that filters down to our team as well, where the early stage team has to play a lot of different roles and wear a lot of different hats. And it can be very, very challenging to manage a company going through a pandemic in a virtual world because all of our employees are remote. You lose that sense of just getting to know somebody and being able to like walk down the hall and just have those like water cooler moments. That being said, when I talk about entrepreneurship, I always talk about how if you want to start a company, you have to be so incredibly in love with it. Because when you go through those peaks and valleys, like the peaks are great. You know, you're in the honeymoon phase and you're all in love and everything's good. But it's the valleys, the parts where you're not having fun anymore, where you don't know whether or not you're going to survive, that you have to love it enough to keep going. And that's exactly what happened with Free World the previous year and this year. I didn't have fun at times, but I knew that this was my life's work and my passion in life. And regardless of how many hours I need to put in or what I needed to do, I was going to make this work. And fortunately, we had great supporters and a great network on our side that really rallied together to help prop us up when we needed help. And so that's really what keeps this whole thing going. It's not only my own passion and devotion for Free World, but seeing how incredibly talented and passionate our team is in the, the services that we're providing, in the network of people who have surrounded Free World with support, and seeing our graduates on a daily basis finding new pathways for their lives. Like, that's what makes it all worth it. Oh, man, I love the enthusiasm. And I just can tell that you are so passionate in the work that you do, Jason. And you're right, like being an entrepreneur does come with a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, for, for example, for myself and Brian, just running Asian Hustle Network, there are definitely times where we tell ourselves like, man, it's just not, it's not fun for us today. You know, like we're not having fun, you know, and it is going to come with days like that. And, you know, just being a founder is, is incredibly difficult and running a startup is incredibly difficult and you really, really have to be passionate in the work that you do. And I can definitely see that you are, you have so much passion and fire in the work that you do and just like helping so many people who are in need. Um, you know, and, and, and I can tell that, all of the, these people that you're helping, you've changed their life around, you know, and I, I kind of want to know like what you do, you know, from like a mental health perspective, what you do to keep yourself up as well, because just helping so many people, it can feel very fulfilling, right? But you need to also make sure that you take care of yourself as well as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as a person, as a human being. So how do you, how do you manage your mental health and how do you make sure that you take care of yourself as well? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the first thing to, to make very, very clear is that free world really is, you know, creating the pathway. But at the mm -hmm. end of the day, our students are the ones who walk through it. And so free world is not transforming anybody's lives. 
we're just providing the opportunity and people are choosing to transform their own lives. And that's why they've been really, really successful in life. And I'm just grateful that, that we get to be a small piece of that. In terms of taking care of myself, I mean, my board, I've gotten in trouble with my board so many times, especially during the early days, because I will work myself to the bone. And um, I actually had to go to a hospital twice for like stress-related injuries. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, <my laughs> um, you know, yeah, because I mean, I, I, this is what I do. You know, like there are no nights, there are no weekends, there are no holidays. And I'm not even exaggerating about this too, nor am I glorifying it. You know, right. th there are so many people that feel like, yeah, you know, if I work more hours, I must be, you know, a badass. And the truth of the matter is, is that what you're doing is you're burning yourself out because it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it took me a while to, to really learn that. I'll admit that today I still don't do the best job of taking care of myself. But during the pandemic, it really was a reality check for me. You know, I had lost some very, very close relationships in my life. And, you know, with the pandemic, I'm such a people person, but everything was closed down. And I just saw so much pain and misery around me. Every single time that you went to the news, there's always some crazy thing happening. You know, the protests that were going on and the murder of George Floyd was so upsetting. I mean, I don't think I have a hot take here. Like 2020 sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that was a year where I really had to take a lot of time to just work on myself. And so I ended up taking antidepressants. I took a little bit of time off of free world. I ended up having to go see a therapist. These are all things that growing up as an Asian, you're not used to. I remember telling my mom about, you know, going to therapy or, you know, taking antidepressants. And she, <laughs> she looked at me and she goes, why do you need to tell somebody about your problems? Just right. choose to be happy. You know, right. like that's, that's not how it works like the, the immigrant mentality <laughs> yeah you know like uh, and she would say you know why are you taking all these pills and all this stuff it, it's bad for your body and you know all my life i've never taken pills i just take you know the tiger bomb and you know all, the <laughs> all the, yeah all the other asian remedies and, and yeah. that's what, what worked for them but you know be honest that, that's not work, what worked for me and i just went through a really really dark place in my life so, you know, in short or in summary, I really learned a lot going through the pandemic and learning from that experience. We've now hired, we've actually doubled our team at this point. And so I feel more comfortable taking a little bit more time off. And matter of fact, we now have an accountability system with my chief of staff and one of my board members, where if my chief of staff sees me sending out emails after 8 p.m., or working on the weekends, she'll actually report me to my board of directors. So that way, <laughs> oh, wow, uh, yeah. So that way, they can actually hold me accountable. So it, it's getting better. That's good. I'm glad to hear that it's getting better, and that you have the support system to kind of catch you when you seem to be falling, you know, or going past that 8 p.m. timeline. And I'm, yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up. You know, just about like therapy and everything because it definitely helps. And you're right, especially in the Asian culture, there is a stigma, a very big stigma that goes with you know seeking therapy or you know taking any kind of pills to help you mentally, emotionally, and it's something that we have to talk about more so than often because there is such a big stigma that's tied to it. But, you know, being a founder, it comes with a lot of challenges. And I think it's very important for us to take care of ourselves, especially when you're running such a large organization and you're, you know, you're, there's so many people that are, you know, a part of that organization that you're, you know, impacting their lives. And 
I think it's just really, really important for us to, you know, continue talking about how we can make sure that we take care of ourselves and take care of our mental health as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you did mention your mother. And I know that part of the story in your chapter in the Uplifted book, you did talk about your mother in the very beginning of that chapter. And she was such a big part of your life. You know, she was, I don't want to give away too much of the chapter, but I'm, you know, she was sending you books and she was really just trying to help you grow as a person. And I just thought that was so inspirational and so powerful for a mother to be doing something like that. And I kind of want to know, you know, I guess it's kind of like a personal question, but how has your relationship with your mother changed? And um, I'm, I'm sure it's it's definitely a lot different from, you know, how the chapter had began. So kind of talk to me about, you know, how your relationship with your mother has changed since then. Yeah, I mean, growing up, I had a really, really tough relationship with my mom. And it was because when my dad would beat me or, you know, yell at me, there was a time where he chased me around the kitchen with a butcher knife. Other times he would throw tables and chairs at me. One time he stripped me down naked threw me on the, to the floor and then stomped on me. And then after he had beat me up, I was living in Iowa at the time. He literally threw me out into a blizzard, like naked as like an eight-year-old boy. And during those times, I remember looking to my mother for help and she didn't defend me. And I hated her for a really, really long time. It wasn't until I got much older that I started to realize that she feared for her, her life as well. And that it wasn't her fault because there really wasn't much that she could do at the time to, to save us, right? I mean, we were living in Iowa. My mom was an immigrant. She didn't have any friends or family that she could turn to. She didn't have any money. She didn't have any education. How, how do you pull yourself from an abusive relationship? So I hated her all the way up until I went to prison. And when I went to prison, that's when I really started to not only understand but appreciate a mother's love. A mother's love is completely different than any other love I've ever experienced in life. And I have so much respect for mothers everywhere. To see how much my mom sacrificed in order to take care of me, in order to love me, especially in a situation where she had no control over my physical well-being. I was in a prison system where we had riots every other week where people were literally stabbing each other, people were getting raped. And it was just such a dark period in my life. And through all that darkness, my mom was that shining beacon of hope. She would drive 14 hours every single weekend to come see me in prison for two hours. She would send me a massive amount of books because this was her way of keeping me safe. She thought that if she could send me books, she couldn't surround me and protect me from all the other bad people in prison. But if she engaged me intellectually through books and engaging material, then her hope was that I wouldn't get involved with the bad things in life. And like, how crazy is it to see somebody go through such great lengths in order to protect her child? Like, it's something that is so profound. It's such a big part of my life. And it's also the reason why, after I was released from prison, the reason why I wanted to be successful wasn't for myself. It was to finally, for the first time, make her proud and to give her the life that she deserves. And, you know, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. 
Wow. I'm getting so teary. I just hearing you say that. I think we often times, you know, it's easy for us to blame our parents or, you know, the people that we think are our guardians, right? If they don't, if we feel that they don't live up to those expectations, but oftentimes our parents or that person that we think is our guardian is most of the times trying to do their best. Right. And we talk about, you know, in the Asian community, we talk about trauma a lot. We go through trauma and sometimes we say that we get trauma from our parents, generational trauma. Right. But we often forget that they have their own trauma as well. And we we don't normally think about that. It's easy for us to not even think about all the experiences or challenges that our parents went through or that our mother went through. Right. And I'm so glad that you came to that realization and just seeing the love that she had for you when you were in prison and just, you know, her just sending you books and driving so many hours to come see you so often just goes to show the amount of love that she had for you. And I'm so glad that your relationship with your mother has changed in that way. Yeah, for for the longest time, I hated my father as well. And it it wasn't until very recently that, that I decided to forgive him because I started to kind of dig into his history and how he grew up. And when he was growing up, you know, his father left him when he was a baby. Mm-hmm. His mother, whenever he would get into trouble, wouldn't beat him then and there. She would wait until he was fast asleep at three or four o'clock in the morning. And she would go into his room and just beat the hell out of him with a, uh, with a stick. When he was 12 years old, he dropped out of sixth grade and had to travel to Hong Kong to start working in the factories just to send money home to his parents. And so... Yeah, you can take a look at the way that he raised me and and the way that he abused me and say, wow, that's terrible. Why would you do that to a person? But then when you start digging into his history, you start to realize that he was abused. And so he only did what he knew at the time. And that's also a big problem that we face in the criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. where when our parents get, you know, incarcerated and they go through all the struggles that they go through, that then gets passed on to their kids because their kids, because the parents never get an opportunity to break out of the cycle. Right, right. Yeah, that's so powerful. I absolutely agree. I think we often forget, you know, the experiences that our parents went through. And we have to, we kind of have to think about that too, just to kind of see like how they treat us really connects to and ties back to like how they were being treated as, as children as well. So going to my next question, I do want to know, you know, what is next for you? for the next five to 10 years, what do you see happening for yourself and for free world in the foreseeable future? And what are your upcoming goals and plans? Yeah, I mean, the, this upcoming year is really going to be focused on scale. I think that we've proven out the model. We have a revenue stream. We now have really amazing philanthropists who have supported our work. And so now it's, it's really time to grow. Over the next five to 10 years, the big goals for us is to get to a point of self-sustainability as a nonprofit. It is very difficult to grow a nonprofit when you rely solely on philanthropy. And so we love to uh, really examine models where we can actually earn income from the services that we provide so that we have our own control over our own destiny and really leverage philanthropic grants to accelerate our growth. We also plan to go into other industries. In trucking, there is a huge opportunity right now where they need over a million new drivers just to keep up with current economic demand. And we also have a large group of people with criminal records who, through the pandemic, were the most significantly impacted. You know, people in poverty, the rest of us already had a hard enough time as is going through the pandemic. But if you've got nothing, 
it was even worse. And so there's a huge opportunity today to continue serving this huge population of people that were really ravaged by the pandemic and to really grow that. We're going to be going into other industries. So trucking today, welding, construction, diesel mechanic training, perhaps sometime in the future. And the goal in the next 10 years is create a platform where we can graduate 100,000 people on a yearly basis. I think that by accomplishing these goals, we really become or we really have a clear pathway toward first ending mass recidivism and generational poverty within these families. But the tailwind effect of that over the next 100 years is that this could make a meaningful dip in mass incarceration. And that's the, the role that Free World is here to play. Well, we're very excited to hear more about your upcoming plans, and I can't wait to hear all about it in your monthly email updates. And we have one last question for you, Jason, and that is if you could give one advice to someone who is trying to turn their life around and possibly, you know, start a new business that's really, you know, speaking to the passion in their life, what would that one advice be? So for somebody who's looking to start their own business, it is fail fast, fail really, really fast. Don't wait to create a website and do all these other things. Create an MVP product that costs almost nothing that you can just clobber together that looks like crap, but functions and just get it into the market. A lot of people waste a lot of time trying to perfect the logo and design and none of that stuff matters if you don't have a great service or a great product. So focus on delighting your customers first. And then once you have a target group that you really, really understand, a targeted customer base, that's when you can start to perfect the other things around it. But this is all like lipstick on a pig if the product isn't good. So focus on that first. That's really good advice. Yes. And I definitely agree with you. I think a lot of people try to perfect, you know, the product or the logo or their website before they, you know, it has to be perfect before I release this or that. But I think the most important thing is like, just get it out, just do it first. And then you can, you know, based on the feedback that you get from your customers, then you can like perfect it and tweak it along the way. Right. Yeah. Uh, all that other stuff is such a waste of time. Like I, I spent a little bit of time creating my free world logo and a year mm-hmm. later it changed. And then most <laughs> likely in two years it's going to change and you know i i just threw together a website and a year later it changed and by the way a year later we're about to change it again so don't worry on the superficial stuff really focus on delighting your customers because they're the ones their vote of support is going to allow you to be successful if nobody likes your product or service you're just you don't have a business you just have an idea Right. That's really good advice. Thank you for sharing that, Jason. So where can our listeners find out more about you and Free World Online? Yeah, so you can look me up on on our website at www.joinfreeworld.com. All one word. Well, it's a website, so of course it's going to be one word. But (laughs) you can also find me on Twitter at Jason Wang. So that's J-A-S-O-N-W-A-A-N-G. The original Jason Wang took the, the Twitter handle, so... I got creative and just put two A's on my last name. I know, not very creative. <laughs> awesome. I will be sure to leave all of those in the show notes of this episode. Jason, I just wanted to thank you so much for being on our episode. And to all our listeners today, um, just wanted to remind you, if you want to read Jason's full story, you can read it on our in our Asian Hustle Network Uplifted book. It's called Uplifted Journeys of Abundance Community Identity. It is written by Gina Chen. And yeah, feel free to check that out. And thank you so much, Jason, for being on our show. It was amazing just hearing your story again today. 
Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Jason. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.